Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to BAFTA. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, we're going to have a short Q&A now, so I would like to welcome to the stage uh, writer Mike Bartlett, <laughs> director Rupert Gould, and from the cast, Charlotte Riley, Oliver Crisp, and Richard Goulding. Mike Bartlett, let's start with you. Um, what did you set out to do, I suppose, firstly with the play and then latterly with the screenplay? Um, I don't really set out to do anything. I have a thing which interests me, and with this it was... I suppose it's a sense that I have... Um, I was brought up... My mother is a monarchist, and I was brought up with that very much in my DNA, of that being part of what it is to be British. But I think my... And that's, that's my heart. My head is... Um, the opposite, almost. It feels like what a ridiculous thing to have um, in this day and age, a family that we all pay money to to be rich and swan around. And those two things are completely against each other. So I had the idea of what would happen when Charles became king, what would happen if he didn't sign a bill into law, which I suddenly thought is quite believable, given he's a very sort of principled guy. And then that came at the same time as thinking that's a very Shakespearean idea and a Shakespearean character. What if I wrote a play that was like a Shakespeare play with him as the tragic hero. And I thought, that's a really good idea, but I don't know how to write that. So then it took a long time to, to write it. <laughs> and what's been the path from, uh, I suppose for Rupert and Mike, the path from stage to screen? How, how did we get here? Um, uh, well, um, I mean, it was always, it's a Shakespearean model, and that's a very popular model, and it's one that sort of, um, in, in the essence, it plays from the groundlings to the lords in the, you know, in, in the balcony. And I think that's the idea. Is, is, that's what the Shakespearean thing that we all aspire to, I think, in this country as writers, is to be avant-garde, innovative, cutting-edge, and also hugely popular. And therefore, when we'd done the, the play and it had gone so well, it was sort of... I would love it to have a screen life so that it could be seen by, by more people. Um, but I didn't want to just give the rights away and have... Charles played by Al Pacino and <laughs> lose, the, lose the verse. And, and also, there was something about the company that had been on the journey. And it felt very much, again, in a Shakespearean uh, tradition that we finished the job and that this company, this director, this, this team that have done so well on stage, who also all have incredible screen experience, um, do that on screen. And I, and I had a feeling that would produce the best work, and I think it has. And for the cast, um, perhaps we start with you, Oliver. Can you talk us about uh, talk about the the transfer from stage to screen? How you adjusted the, the the changes you had to make? It's a common question for an actor to be asked: What's the difference between acting on stage and acting on screen? And I think I learned from this that the only main difference is on screen you're not allowed to move your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it's yeah. Oops. Eek. Um, <laughs> next time, guys. Um, but uh, I think. One of the, the joys with this, I've found I've been very privileged to work in both stage and uh, on the television. And I, I find on the television the real frustration is that you're never quite comfortable. You never have enough time to rehearse. You never have enough time to be comfortable with the character and the journey. And when you've done a performance of a story and a play with close friends and colleagues that you've worked with together, built from scratch, and worked on together, and you've done 300 times, that you can turn up on set so in command of your, not only your dialogue, but the emotional journey. There's not a, there is not an emotional nuance that we haven't shined a light on. And I feel that the end result here that you see on the screen really, really is a culmination and a benefit of that investigation that we've all made as a, as a unit. And that's an, that's an honor to be able to, to bring that from the stage to the screen because 
it happens at small plays. Go to the West End it's from from small quality theatres in North London. Go to <laughs> <laughs> it happens that they go from the West End to Broadway. But what doesn't happen is that these plays then get an outlet on, you know, the fabulous BBC. And this is a unique and fabulous opportunity. And so it's a privilege and an honour to be able to take that to the next step. And for you, uh, for you, Rupert, did you? How did you approach the transition, having directed the stage play already? Uh, well, um, I'd, uh, I think the thing that would seem most challenging is the stage play runs almost an hour longer than the, the mm. screenplay. And I think we felt that uh, it was going to be difficult to get it into 90 minutes. And, um, but I'd, I'd been lucky to, to direct um, one of the Hollow Crown Shakespeare's for the BBC, Richard II. And I'd learned a little bit about um, verse on screen, I guess, to, to some extent. And, and um, so I kind of had, was able to bring some of that in terms of how we went on to cut the script. Um, but but the, the really amazing thing is we've kept the whole scenic structure of the play pretty much. And we, we've moved two scenes around, but we haven't lost any scenes. We just sort of filleted from within. Um, I mean, there were big challenges because theatre is an imaginative act. And uh, you've got coronations, you've got funerals, you've got the House of Commons, things we did very representationally, very simply on stage. Uh, and that was a, ch a challenge, I guess, on our resources because we weren't the crown or something. Um, but we had a great, um, a really great uh, production team, great, um, great design team, and we were able to really maximise the, the environment we were in, which was actually, it's all shot um, in and around Leeds, um, doubling for London, and, um, and we were able to get really great value out of the, the locations there. Mm. Uh, Charlotte, you came to the, the company, as Mike puts it, uh, later on. What was it like joining? It? What was it like being an outsider? Did that help the performance in some ways? Um, yeah, well, I guess it did because I, I, I kind of tried a friend, actually. I was like, uh, sharing with a friend that I was slightly nervous about joining a company so late on. And I was oh, God, I'm going to be the newbie. And then she pointed out to me, I was like, well, it's kind of how Kate is in the family. <laughs> and so <laughs> go with it. So I went with it, but these guys are just so bloody friendly that that didn't last very long. So they kind of um, <laughs> took me under their wing pretty quickly. It was really, it was great, really. They all had really kindly had lots of time to share their experiences and the things that they discovered in rehearsal. So I had this sort of wealth of knowledge kind of handed to me from all their investigations a, 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 along the way. And... Um, yeah, so I, I, I felt quite blessed, really, because they'd worked out a lot of that stuff, and then they, and they filled me in, and, and I just kind of pedalled like mad and tried to get up to speed, and <laughs> hopefully... She was a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. And, Richard, obviously, you've played Harry before. Um, when it came to playing him for this adaptation, do you... These are some of the most filmed people in the world. Do you go to YouTube? Do you go and watch what they're like? Or is that actually something you need to steer clear of a little bit? Uh, I steer clear of it, yeah. Uh, we never really had a conversation in rehearsal, I don't think, about how much... I think very different people in the company did different levels, amounts of research into, into who, who the people they were playing. I, I took the view that um, the, this is a, a, a fiction, a play of you know, future history, but it doesn't exist. Uh, in reality, so and to try and respond to what was on the page, what Mike had written, rather than to, in any way, try to impersonate Harry. Or uh, I, I think to do that, in the same way that it's written in verse, and in the same way that the stage play was, you know, the set was very bare, very stark. The design was black clothes largely. So there was something allowing the audience to imagine, to, to, to allow the suspension of disbelief to happen. In a way, to to approach it, to to try and do a, an impression or anything or an impersonation would reduce it to something prosaic and not, not metaphorical. 
not, it would lose a lot of the metaphorical uh, layers that it has. Um, so I, I actually did very, I, I said to a friend, you know, I was quoted, in, I think when we were on Broadway, saying I did absolutely no work. That's, <laughs> that, that's, that's not quite true, but I, I decided to, to, you know, the play was the thing. You could say you were getting into character. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, why, did, we did, why didn't I? Yeah, why didn't yeah, I? Yeah, yeah. We did go to that Las Vegas hotel room that time. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Purely method. Um, you mentioned the blank verse. Um, was there ever any moment where you thought you, that might not work for a, for a mass market screen audience? Um, Do you have any, any, any trepidation about? You sort of live in hope. But yeah. you sort of do with, to be honest, you do with everything you do. Yeah. You don't know if it's going to work. You know, so when we first did this play um, at the Almeida, we didn't know if it was a very weird experimental piece of work that would you know, seem very, uh, on one hand, arrogant, and on the other hand, in, you know, indecipherable. So you never know about things. But I think, I think it was the... And New Shakespeare had been done very well on screen you know, for the last 50 years in all different forms. So that, that was something. And it was a language that people understand about that. But also that the verse was never written to be um, uh, aesthetically wonderful and beautiful. It was there to help the drama, to help the characters and help the different levels in the play. It's the same reason that Shakespeare uses verse with his kings, is to, is to, to find a voice that you can believe a king speaking in. And so some people came out to play and didn't know it was in verse, and that was fine. And I think it's the same with this. If people know it's in verse and they enjoy it, great. But if they come to the end and they don't notice, that's absolutely no problem at all. Yeah, it's, it's like the impression thing. It's sort of, you know, you're constantly battling the idea of it being a sketch or, mm. or a sort of uh, a half-hour sort of Black Mirror thing. And uh, I think the great thing about the verse is it gives gravity and rhetoric and... Dignity, not to people who don't have dignity, but it allows the political arguments to have a sort of muscle that, you know, you feel that the royal family struggle to be allowed to be themselves sometimes. They sort of all shuck a bit, kind of, about in their pronouncements. And I think the verse gives a real uh, sort of weight to what, to what they say. And obviously these guys, have, you, you've done the verse or a version of in the theatre. How is it for you, Charlotte, coming to, to, um, to deal with the blank verse? Um. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, I <laughs> sing, sing. Um, well, it was was I've not actually done any any Shakespeare in in professionally, so I was a little bit nervous about it. But again, just working with these guys, they just kind of shoved me in there, and, and off I went. And it when it was fine, particularly under Rupert's guidance, it was it was it was great. And it's something that you know you you do talk about and work with, and then you do have to slightly let it go and let 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 the text do the work for you. So, um, yeah, it was a bit nerve-wracking considering these guys had just worked the text so hard for so long and knew every every little beat and nuance. But, um, again, you, I guess you just got to go with that and, and, and use that for how that works with your character. So I just kind of went with it, really. And did you find that by... Uh weeks in that you were a bit like watching it you sort of cease to notice that it's there that it's so well written it that you find it certainly makes learning lines a lot easier really yeah yeah i agree absolutely yeah, yeah. which well, is it's got its own and it's well, the meter dry, and rhythm it's momentum, yeah. Hasn't it? and yeah and it's sort of some of it well i don't know after years of doing it it sort of takes care of itself but i think that is true that there's a there's a the rhythm of it and the the meat of it makes it easier to to get in yeah yeah, yeah. Now, the obvious absentee uh, here tonight is Tim Pickett-Smith. I wonder, um, having done so many scenes for over such a long time, Oliver, if you could say a little bit about his performance and what it was like working with him. Well, I mean, we're very honoured to have uh, some of Tim's close family up at the back with us today. And uh, it's a very strange time 
talking about this extraordinary piece of work that we've all been on this incredible journey with and obviously having the, our father of our company, our leader, and our inspiration, and this magnificent, the gentleman who gave this magnificent performance absent. It's a shock and, frankly, a joke that has calcified into a total tragic reality. Um, it's a, actually a privilege to be able to sit here in front of everybody and be able to, in just a few moments, try and express what an extraordinary man Tim Pigott-Smith was and still is. The net gain that the world has received from having him in it is so extraordinary that whilst it may be uh, scant consolation for a life so tragically cut short, that everybody who knew him and worked with him and had the pleasure to be mentored, comforted, supported, interact with him, and everybody who has taken joy from his many magnificent performances, um, we can treasure that selfish memory and uh, we can just keep... It doesn't feel to me like he's no longer with us because the residue, the, what he has left behind is so vivid and so special um, that uh, I'm just privileged and honoured to have known him and, uh, and have worked with him. And Rupert, perhaps, uh, again, his absence, could you say a little bit about Tim's performance in this piece and perhaps how it evolved over the years? Uh, when I did The Hollow Crown, there are these amazing actors in this country who have spent an enormous amount of time on stage and an enormous amount of time on screen, like David Suchet and Ian McKellen. And, and Tim was very much one of those. And so he brought um, incredible technical command to the verse and the, the sort of kingliness of the role on stage and yet was able, having done so much work on screen, just to totally recalibrate it for, for, for the small camera. Um, he, I mean, I always, I always felt with Tim that he, you know, he'd had that uh, you know, incredible uh, BAFTA-winning performance doing during The Crown. Um, he'd then gone off to run a theatre company for a bit. Um, he's sort of like all actors and all artists, I suppose, his career had kind of taken various curves and bends. Um, you know, I, I hope we're not being sort of uh, self-aggrandizing about this particular project, but it did feel that this role was something special to him. I mean, obviously, he, you know, he was very garlanded for, for it. Um, but I think it also, he, he, you know, he was exactly the same age as Prince Charles, and I think, like Prince Charles in a way, had been waiting for a role in, at some deep level for a while. Um, you know, he. He, you know, he was a very acclaimed and accomplished actor, but maybe in terms of finding that role that would define him, he, it was sort of in expectation. And so when he, when, I remember he was in a uh, small theatre um, near where I live, actually, when I brought in the script for the first time, and I said, look, it's in blank verse, it's about Prince Charles, and I could see the idea of it tickled him. And, um, and he just, you know, the thing that I remember most vividly about Tim was his incredible energy and hard work. My God, he worked so hard, and he would... He just tore into it. There was, you know, he like a 22-year-old. Um, he was always like that. Uh, you know, he was off book. You know, within seconds, he had this incredible ability to, 
you know, race through the rhetoric uh, and yet also keep you emotionally engaged all the time, an ability to speed up and drive when you needed that muscle, but also sort of open up and expand, which he does, I think, wonderfully on the film. Um, so he sort of, you know, it was a combination of great technical armory, but also I think something deeper, you know, to do with his history as a performer, but also to do with, you know, the role and him. You know, he, he like, you know, he was an actor who had lots of opinions about art and the world, very, very bright man, you know, and I think, you know, actors, you know, uh, um, sometimes aren't allowed those voices, you know, too often they're, you know, I guess they're mouthpieces for other people's work. And Prince Charles is a bit like that, you know, you feel he's full of, of opinions and ideas and wants to sort of let them, and values, like Mike says. And um, there was just a really, you know, he, he was a great man, a great, great actor, but it was also the great role for him at that moment. And, uh, you know, we're just thrilled to be able to record it. I mean, the, the, the saddest thing of all is that he never got to see the film. Um, we kept offering to give it to him and say, look, but he, he didn't want to watch the work. He sort of, he came in to do the ADR and, and wouldn't really look at the screen. And uh, he, I don't know, he had a sort of odd um, suspicion almost about watching himself, which was amazing because he was such a generous watcher of everybody else's performance <laughs> and giving watcher. Uh, yeah, it was it was a special performance. That seems like an apt moment to get some questions from our audience here. I believe there are microphones hovering, well, not literally hovering, but in the wings. Okay, if you stick your hands up and I will, yes, down the front here. Hi, I thought this was brilliant in so many ways and congratulations to everyone, but the one, um, thing that made me feel uncomfortable, I think, was the scenes with the ghost of Princess Diana, given the interview that Prince Harry gave not very long ago, where he talked about um, his grief over his mother. Obviously, this was made a long time before that, but I just wonder if it has given any of you pause for thought about including that, and if you think about those scenes any differently, given the interview that he gave. I, I mean, I, I, the answer I always gave on Diana is it would be very strange to tell this story without her actually, and that the ghost, I think, is presented differently on stage and differently on screen, but they serve, it's, it serves the same function, which is to show the sort of exactly that, that, that presence of her in their lives, and that she's never going to go away, and, and she, they've lost a mother, and I think, I, what I would hope, and I think this goes for everything in the piece, is that it's treated sincerely. It's not a sketch, it's not actually a satire, it's not an attack, it's a genuine investigation of what it is to be that family and in that role in this country. And Diana is part of that. She was a national, hugely famous figure, um, controversial in all sorts of ways. Um, and she's still very present in that family in all sorts of ways. So I think, um, I, I, and I think a ghost is very much part of the Shakespearean form and is very much a dramatic device, not a joke. And I hope that that comes across in the film. And I think we've hopefully worked hard to make sure that that's clearly the, the, the point of that scene. Who is next? Yes, this gentleman here. Hi, I have two questions. Uh, I, I really loved that, and I really loved the play. And I've been dying to ask um, Mike about the, the writing process. You talked a bit about the Shakespeare, and I was just wondering if there was a bit, uh, some, of, some lines that were clear, you know, echoes of, from specific Shakespeare plays, if that was simply to kind of... Um, uh, lead us in the direction of this is the this is the style, or if there were deliberate kind of allusions with some with some lines to certain plays, and also I I really wanted to know if there was any um, if you were inspired at all by the Apple Cart from George Bernard Shaw. Um, 
I'd love to be as clever and, and well-read as <laughs> you make that sound. No, um, uh, sadly not. I, um, no, my rule was there was no complete works of Shakespeare on the desk as I was writing. The rule was it, it, um, it had to be organic because I was writing a play and no one, only a few, you know, if you know your Shakespeare, there are little things in there that you might get, but they only came about because I was writing a scene and I needed a bit of dialogue and it came to me and I stole it. Um, so that's the rule. And, and it's the same with, you know, the structures about Harry dropping out and going into the world is, has Shakespearean resonance and, you know, is, is uh, you know, some people have said that uh, Catherine is a bit like Lady Macbeth, although I would question that, but th those things organically emerge from just the story I was telling and no, the George Bernard Shaw play, I, I've never read, I don't know anything about it, so. Yeah. Um, that was your chance to really show off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, I'm not that smart. Um, okay, who is next? Yes, there's a lady down there. If you hang on a sec, a microphone will come to you. Um, for Charlotte, um, how nervous were you about playing like a negative kind of portrayal of um, the Duchess of Cambridge? Because she's almost seen as untouchable. I mean, this kind of puts kind of a ne negative slant on her. I guess I didn't really see it as a negative slant, was probably... Yeah, Ollie agrees with me. <laughs> Um, no, I just, I, I, I don't feel that that's what Mike's written, actually. I think that pff, I see her as being incredibly pragmatic and that she's so probably approaching this slightly differently um, to how many people might, how people perceive she might approach this. I think she sees it as uh, very practically, like this is you know, almost like a, a, a business. We need to move in this way and we need, we need to make these choices. And I think... She makes some bold choices, but I don't think that necessarily makes her uh, makes that a negative slant on her on her character. She just yeah. I mean, I think I think we always felt that we think of the monarchy as being an utterly permanent thing, but of course there are European nations that either have lost their monarchy or their monarchy has changed and become something very, you know, on the buses. Um, and uh, Scandinavian, I think one royal correspondent we spoke to talked about it. And certainly in the in the drama of the story, if uh, Kate doesn't intervene, then the Parliament will withdrawal powers from the monarchy and the monarchy will be at an end. So, you know, without Kate's galvanization in, in the story that Mike's written, it's the end of the monarchy. So, you know, she's, she's strong. And that's the, it's interesting that, you know, what, what it says about gender, I suppose, that the perception of that is negative. You know, she, she gets it done. Uh, and it, so I would, yeah, I would challenge quite firmly the idea that there's a value judgment attached to it. It's just a different modus operandi to the others. Okay, who else do we have? Is the lady in the middle here? You just pass down the microphone, please. I, I thought it was very interesting that the bill that was being passed was basically, unless I misinterpreted it, was about freedom of the press. Is that correct? Yeah. So what, what really it comes down to is that a king had to abdicate when he was morally and ethically correct in order for there to be a pragmatic solution to a business, as you're pointing out. And that, and that looking at the world today, it's a curious, it's a curious twist on things because it, it saved the monarchy perhaps, but it saved it as a rubber stamp and nothing more, unless I misinterpreted it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's largely true. I was, it was funny, about uh, I don't know, four or five months before we started filming, I can't remember where, we, where we'd got to. I think, yeah, Brexit must have happened or we must have been going into it. And I remember saying to Mike, 
you know, what if it was Brexit? What if it was leaving Europe? And, and that's what he's not going to sign. And what if he's... Because he doesn't stop it. He just asks them to think again. And maybe that would make a hard Brexit a, a softer Brexit. And uh, Because when the play was written, I guess it had echoes of Leveson and, you know... Um, but I think the... I don't want to speak for you, but one of the reasons we, we stayed with the freedom of the press was that there is also the sort of heroic irony that Charles, whose life has been impeded on by the press, actually defends the very thing that's attacked him. And that felt, uh, it gave complexity and, and, and strength and, and dignity to a position that an audience might be hostile to, given that it's anti-democratic. Do we have any further questions from the floor? Go for it. Just quickly for Oliver and Charlotte, because uh, Richard, you talked about your experience with playing a real person. I wondered if did either of you have exactly the same experience of how to interpret people that are based that are fictional characters, but clearly based on real people. I mean, if 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 I didn't know what what play what uh, who the characters were, but I put the three of you together and said who could they play, it's kind of. <laughs> So there is something obviously drawn from, from real life. So I just wondered if you had different opinions. I binge watched a lot of YouTube clips. <laughs> <laughs> that became my penchant for quite a while. Um, yeah, well, and then I narrowed it down to only watching people's... Of, of Kate. <laughs> <laughs> like sneezing kittens. <laughs> <laughs> no, just okay. Snowboard jumps. Yeah, yeah. I became particularly obsessed with finding s small snippets of people's phone footage from when they'd met her, just to find any slight moment of her when she was having. She's still on public on public display, but just slightly more private than when she's absolutely being interviewed, and then watch that for ages and ages and all the ridiculous documentaries that there are about them and then completely let it all go and completely followed Mike's text. But for me, uh, for me personally, I had to explore all of that because I'm, I wasn't, you know, I, I see the newspapers, wasn't massively overly aware of, of her or, or even really her fashion or anything. So I, I just wanted to understand how the public perceived her because that was such a big part of her journey. Um, and so, and then had to kind of let that go and, 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 and go with the, the kit that Mike had created. So that was my slant on it. I, um, I did a lot more research than Rich seemingly did because Rich is a, <laughs> is a uniquely lazy actor. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, did, I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of, you know, a bit like Charlotte said, I did a lot of watching YouTube and stuff. But as Rupert said earlier on, we really, we really decided very early on not to do impressions or pastiches, and we all bear a slight resemblance to our royal counterparts. But, you know, <laughs> royal uh, yeah, well, you know <laughs> I'm elevating them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, what I found in the end that was, 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 more, was more of an interesting journey was that we can only play the characters that exist in, in Mike's play. And yet knowing that this piece was certainly going to be controversial, but I think an enormously intelligent addition to the debate about our monarchy and our royal family. We as actors, uh, I certainly, Rich probably not, but we, um, we had, I felt like, I, felt like I, had a, I had a responsibility to this guy that I had remotely got to know. And I have a lot of respect for uh, Prince William, for William, 
Um, we've never met or anything, but I, I just have a lot of respect for the way that he has carried himself through his life, you know, with this media glare on him, and he's been through all the trials and tribulations and horrors, really, that we all know. So we're all so familiar with. And so whilst we are duty-bound to play the roles in Mike's play, I think we all shouldered the responsibility of respect of the real people that we were portraying. There's, no, there's nothing glib about this story. There's nothing glib about this play, about this film. And I'd like to think that there's nothing glib about our representations of our, the real people that we are playing. One of, the, one of the things that is really rare, I think, about the, the piece, and people commented on this when, it was first, when we first did it, is, um, in a way, every character is sympathetic. Every character is trying to do the right thing. Maybe possibly the leader of the opposition, less so. But, um, <laughs> but they, they, all, they all are acting from principle. And that's where the dram why the dramaturgy is so strong, is nobody is, is sort of playing the villain. They are playing what they want because they believe in it. And that's what produces the sort of um, the complexity of it, I think. Do we have time for one more? Because that lady was, had her hand up first. And then we'll finish down there. Um, I thought it was absolutely bloody brilliant and passionate and engaging and all of that, but I wanted to ask you, Mike, you said your mum was a real monarchist. What does she think of it? Um, she's, uh, well, she loves it because I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, one thing that I think we, we've talked about is, um, is uh, making sure that people who are monarchists come to see it, and because actually I think they would enjoy it. It's, it, as I, I hope they would, it's very, um, like we talked about, it's very sincere and hopefully we sort of respectful in the right sort of way. And so I think um, my mum, yeah, and hopefully she enjoys it for that reason as well. Uh, we have time for one more question, I think, with apologies, I think it was this lady here who was first. Okay, sorry, I, I wanted to ask a couple of things. Obviously you are playing three of the most famous people in this country. And I wanted to find out what you, th what you think they'd think of it, firstly, and if there are any similarities personally, not physically, between you and your characters. I've no idea. Yeah, I mean, um, what do you expect? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, I, uh, I don't know what they'd think of it. I, 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 I mean, Harry... <laughs> <laughs> um, will, he, will they watch it? I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I don't think if I were them. Not because it's sort of, you know, casting aspersions or, or, or doing anything um, vicious, but just that I, I just I don't know whether I'd want to see any version of myself on screen or stage or anything like that. I didn't want to see that, but it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, similarities with me and Harry. I, uh, it, the, the story starts, Harry's unsettled, not sure of his role in life. There's, there's, uh, um, th there's stuff with his mother, and he's dealing with an awful lot. Um, I, I, I think I deal with an awful lot. <laughs> I've got two kids. <laughs> um, so, no, that's a, a, a glib response. I, uh, I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's actually, I, I'm sort of rather dumbstruck by seeing it tonight. It's the first time I've seen it, and... Um, listening to all these words about Tim in particular, uh, so forgive me, I'm, I'm rather lost for words. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've, I actually um, can't stand watching myself mm -hmm. on any screen ever, so the thought of watching someone else mm -hmm. doing a representation of me on some screen somewhere would fill me with even more dread. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, I think, I think 
it would be very understandable if, if William stayed away from King Charles III, um, I guess. But maybe he'd love it. I don't know. I don't know. He'd love how handsome he is. Hey, <laughs> that is actually true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just agree with what these guys said. I think I think you, you guys have covered it really. Um, I think the, probably the similarities between me and and her would. I think she. I get the impression, not necessarily from the player, but that she's fiercely protective of her children, and understandably, as we all are who have who have children. And I think that goes for whether you're in the public eye or not. I think that you know I can see. Things there. I think it must be incredibly difficult for them having children and their children also having to live in the public eyes, I think. Yeah, and there's, there's a big difference between like, thinking you're similar to a character you're playing and yeah. having empathy with them yeah. and, and stepping into their, yeah. the, the, yeah. the character that's written and, yeah. and seeing the world as they, or seeing the world as the, as the character sees it. And that, that's our job, really, rather than to draw, power, you know, we, we bring ourselves to the part and the part to ourselves, but there's a, there's a meeting of the two. But but it's rather than sort of say, well, that's similar, that's similar. It's, it, it's not so scientific, I think. Okay, um, that's all we have time for. Only remains to say thank you very much to our panel.